0: Hey, this is Rachel, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaicorg young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message.
1: We'll be starting at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit. through his spirit who dwells in you.
0: Hello, y'all. My name is Brady. If we've never met, the most important thing that you can know about me is that I am an imperfect follower of Jesus. Um, I always try and introduce myself that way because I, two reasons. One, I, I just need to be reminded that that's the most important thing about me because I forget. And I want people to know uh, that not only is Jesus super important to me, but that I am completely and utterly imperfect. I know that in our world, oftentimes, uh, we can try and put forward an image uh, that makes us look better than we really are. And I just want to make sure that there's no pedestal that I can fall from, (laughs) that everyone just knows from the beginning, like just, I'm the worst. So uh, what I'd love to start with is I'd love to start with the very first question that God asks in the Bible. Does anyone know what the first question is that God asks in the Bible? Genesis chapter three. Where are you? Yes, where are you? Now, I don't think that God was asking a geographical question um, when he was asking Adam and Eve where they are. And so what I'd love for you all to do is to just take a moment and assess. I want you to just think, where am I? Not just where I am, you know, where am I geographically? I'm sitting in a chair in Mix 56 in the Mosaic building in Winter Garden, Florida. But where are you in your heart? Where are you in your mind? And if you're anything like me, it's hard to really do a self-assessment. So what I've done is I've gotten just a few different groups of words And what I want you to do is you can, if you've got a pen and paper and you want to write this down, you can. If you have a phone that has a notes app, you can take out your phone and your notes app, or you can take out your phone and just pretend you've got your notes app. But what I would love for you to do is to make note of one word in each of these groups of word that best describes kind of where you're at right now. Whether it's right now in this moment or right now in this season of your life, maybe it's the past week, the last few weeks or the last couple of months, but just as you assess where you are, which word best describes you? So in this first group, just, just look at all these different words. Which one of these words best describes where you're at? Are you weary, overwhelmed, distracted, zoned out, busy, bored, rested? Where are you? What word zeroes in on your experience, what you're feeling, where you're at? What about these next group of words? Where are you? Are you frustrated? Are you annoyed? Are you relaxed? Critical, anxious? Peaceful? Calm? Agitated? Where are you? Where have you been? Think about the relationships that you're in. Think about your schoolwork, your job, your family. Where are you? What are you feeling? What's going on? What about these next words? Fearful, unsure, apprehensive, stable, leery, timid, hopeful, What word best describes where you're at? Where are you? Maybe if you can, just just hear God asking you that question. Just between you and him. No one needs to know these words. But if the God of the universe was there with you, and he was whispering in your ear this question, letting you know he cares about where you are, but he just wants you to be open. He just wants you to be authentic. He just wants you to say, okay, I'm here. Whether it's good or bad, whether it's exciting or scary, whether it seems positive or negative, where are you? What about these next next ones? Are you dissatisfied? Are you complacent, wanting, wanting? Have you felt upset generally? Are you at ease? Are you content? Where are you? The God of the universe that knows all things was asking you directly where you are. What would you say? Where are you? How about this one? you feeling sluggish, discouraged. You're feeling disheartened, melancholy. Maybe you've been wrestling with depression. You're feeling just apathetic. Like, I just, I just don't care. Maybe you're full of joy, full of life. Like, where are you? What's going on in your heart and your mind? How would you describe your circumstances, your situation, your emotional state? Where are you? On this last group of words, you're feeling optimistic, creative, lazy, lethargic, apathetic, full of life, emotionless. Where, where are you? What's going on? Where are you? Maybe just take a minute and look back over those words. Maybe you didn't write them down or type them. Maybe you just kind of logged them in your brain. But as you think about holistically where you are, what's going on? What's the overall sense of your soul, of your heart, of your mind, of your relationships, of your circumstances? Where are you? Now, I want to read a few passages of scripture, and these are passages that describe to us either in the words of Jesus or one of his followers or disciples, in the words of David, how the Christian life should be experienced or described. So Philippians chapter 4, 7. Paul is talking, he's given us a list of things and he says he says this shocking statement. He says, the peace of God and in his mind, there's a word even deeper than peace that's the Hebrew word shalom, like where everything is just right in the way that it should be. The peace of God, which surpasses understanding. I mean, think about it, a concept that you don't understand. A concept that you wouldn't be able to explain to someone else. Something that's beyond your capacity to understand. Paul says there is a peace that you can't even understand. You can't even comprehend. You can't even grasp it. This peace will, it's not, it's not an uncertainty, it's a certainty, will, it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The peace that we can't understand will guard, watch over your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. What about Romans 15, 13? Romans 15, 13, Paul writes, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy. Not some joy, not partial joy, but all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Abound in hope. Psalm 1611, the psalmist writes this, you, God, make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy, completeness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Peter, one of Jesus's closest followers, writes this in 1 Peter 1. He says, though you, we, though we have not seen him, you love him. Talking about Jesus talking about us who haven't gotten to see Jesus in physical form. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Joy that you're not even able to express. That's the extent or the quality of joy that Peter says is the experience of followers of Jesus. In John 10, 10, Jesus writes this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, Jesus, have come that they, us, we, humanity, might have life and have it abundantly. Some other translations say to its fullest extent. Life abundant. In Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus is speaking at another time, and he says to me, he says to us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. Now, now, now think about, think about these things that the writers of the scripture say should be our experience as followers of Jesus, as Christians, as people who know and love Jesus. That this should be our experience. Peace beyond understanding, abounding hope, fullness of joy, inexpressible joy, life abundant, and rest. Now think about your words. Think about the words that you wrote down where you're at, what you're feeling, what you're experiencing, your life balled up into a few words. Were those the words that you chose? Because those words were on the list, and maybe they were. Maybe, maybe right now, life, you're just killing it. You're thriving. Everything is just rocking. You're, you're on point, and you feel great, full of joy, hope, life. You feel rested. But if you don't feel like that right now, or maybe if you just kind of look at man since the day that I began to follow Jesus is this the way that I could accurately characterize my life with Jesus? And if not, like what gives? I mean there've been many times that I've asked this question like was Jesus wrong? Was Paul lying? If this is supposed to be my life with Jesus, and yet I'm over here feeling anxious, depressed, frustrated, bitter, like what's, what's going on? Does that mean that God doesn't love me? Does that mean I'm not a Christian? Like what's going on? What gives? I think about Galatians chapter five, verse one. It says, for freedom's sake, Christ has set us free. He's talking about sin. Now, I don't know how many of you in here have ever experienced any sort of addiction, any form of addiction in your life. And, and you know maybe we're talking you know, the major ones that come to your mind. A lot of times when you hear addiction, maybe you're thinking alcohol or drugs, maybe you're thinking pornography. But it could really be any sin to a certain level. At some point, you've experienced life In such a way, like you don't feel like you can make any other decision than the sinful decision. Like Whatever's going on in your heart, in your mind, you feel so enslaved, so burdened, so bogged down by this feeling, this urge, this what Paul would call slavery, that you can't make the right decision. Like you just feel like you, you have to lie or you're not going to survive. You have to click on that website or you're not going to survive. You have to take another drink. If you've ever been in a scenario where that has been kind of what describes your life, have you ever wondered like, what is this freedom that Paul talks about? Because I, I don't feel it. I don't experience it. Maybe times you do, maybe at times you feel like, man, I I can really walk in the footsteps of Jesus, but maybe there are times when it's just overwhelming, it's overpowering. Have you ever felt a disconnect between your experience and then what the scriptures talk about what should be the way that followers of Jesus would characterize their lives? ever been there? Ever been super discouraged by that? I have many, many times, but there's some incredible news. I have good news, real good news. And I'm going to start by talking about a Hebrew word. I don't know how many times you thought in your life that good news would begin with a Hebrew word, but sometimes it does. How many of you know any Hebrew words? Anyone know any Hebrew words? Hebrew, if you you know, Hebrew was the language that God's people spoke before uh, Jesus in the Old Testament or what they would have just called their scriptures. And in the Hebrew language, there are a number of incredible words, but one of them is this word ruach. Ruach. So if you would spell in English, R-U-A-K-H. If you're gonna say it correctly, you're probably gonna spit on someone a little bit. So maybe just be careful, maybe cover your mouth when you say it. Ruach. Ruach. This is a great word. Now, if you want to know what Ruach is, take your hand left or right. It doesn't really matter. And just put it right in front of your mouth, just maybe an inch away and say, hello. 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 Did you, did you feel something on your hand? You feel it? No, it was Ruach. Hello. That thing that you felt, that's Ruach. Then if you go outside and you go, I don't know, maybe you go to a nature trail or you go to a place where there's lots of trees. And you're looking at the trees, the leaves, and the branches, and they're moving. That thing that's moving the tree branches, that's moving the leaves, that's ruach. I mean, just imagine, just for a second, walk outside in your mind. Go out, see the trees moving, and you're like, what's, what's making it move? It's ruach. Ruach. But this word ruach also is the word that is used when you describe the spirit of God. So Genesis chapter one, verse two, it says the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It's the ruach of God that was hovering over the waters. And what I love about this is it really begins to paint a picture in your mind. What the spirit of God is, is the spirit of God is the invisible, personal, animating presence of God. It's the invisible, personal energy of God. It's the invisible, personal presence of God. And in the Old Testament, one of the major things that the Spirit of God is associated with is creation. So Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1, 2, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the deep, But the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then what happens is God begins to, in a very orderly fashion, create everything, right? And how, I bet you guys know this. How does God create? What does he do? He speaks, yeah. So now, when you hear speaking, the sound that you hear, you might call that language. You might call that a word, right? But what's behind the sound that you hear? What? Vibration Vibration caused by what? Caused by ruach. I mean, it's this beautiful Trinitarian picture right there in Genesis chapter one. You've got the word, which we find out in John is Jesus. Jesus is the word of God, the word made flesh. And the sound is the word, but what moves that sound is ruach that the spirit of God is the creative power of God, partnering with the father and the son, all intimately involved in creation. When God forms the first human, how does God give life to the first human? What does he do? He breathes breath into his nostrils. God breathes his Ruach and animates the first human, which is so cool. So you can begin to think about how these people of God, the Hebrews, thought about God's spirit as breath and the invisible force like moving trees. And yet it is God's personal presence. It's not just some power. It's not just some energy. It's not just some impersonal being. It's actually God. It's the personal, invisible power and presence of God that starts creation. But he doesn't stop there. He's not just the one that like pushes the start button on creation. It's like winding a watch. Anybody ever wound a watch in here? Come on. Yes. So you wind a watch and then the watch then goes on its own, right? If you wind a watch, you've given it the power and then it goes on its own and you don't have to be involved with it anymore. But that's not what the spirit of God does. He doesn't just create. He's intimately involved in the sustaining work of creation. That's why breath is one of those words, because how long can you be sustained by one breath? What do you think? Two, two minutes? What, 47 seconds? Two, okay, right, yes, right. There, there is an individual in the world that has trained for years and years and years and years and years, and years that, has, that has done this. But the average person, around a minute, right, Maybe if you've you've got some, you know, you've been working out maybe two minutes, maybe three, four, but not very long until you have to take another breath, which is this picture that you're seeing just with language about what the spirit of God does, that the spirit of God doesn't just give you life, but he is continually giving you life. So for all of us who have to take a breath, we should think, oh, thank you. Thank you, God. You, You just gave me life. You just gave me life. Now, the writers of the scripture, they're not trying to say the spirit of God is oxygen, but they're trying to paint a picture of God continually giving us and sustaining our life just like oxygen does. Just like it gets into our lungs and then it oxygenates our blood and it gets into all the parts of our body, causes our brain synapses to fire. That the spirit of God is sustaining Life. He is always moving us toward life. So when you think about the spirit of God, you should think, one, ruach, breath, wind, spirit, but also creation, animation, and sustaining life, always moving creation toward life. Now, let's look at the life of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is incredible, and I love the example that he sets for us. So Jesus did some pretty amazing things. What are some amazing things that Jesus did? He calmed the waters. So he was, there was like this storm going on. Disciples were freaking out. Jesus is asleep, like he's not phased at all um, or seasick, which I would be totally seasick. And then he wakes up and he just speaks and the sea calms. What else? What do you do that's pretty incredible? What else? Absorb the wrath of God. God. Yes. Yes. Totally. Like there's this guy who cannot see and then Jesus makes him able to see. Like throughout the gospels, we see Jesus doing all kinds of incredible things, right? He's healing sick people. He's cleansing people who've got leprosy. He's making blind people see. He's doing all kinds of amazing things. Also teaching with authority that no one ever heard before. He rose from the grave. I mean, just amazing. Have you ever asked yourself, how did Jesus do those things? Have you ever thought about that? How how did he? do it? I mean, those are are beyond human capabilities. Yes. So for the longest time, I just thought, oh, it's because he's God, right? Jesus is God. He's 100% God. And I just thought, Oh, it's his, it's, it's him being God doing these things that are beyond human capabilities, but that's not what the scriptures teach. So if you look at Jesus, like he was completely and utterly 100% human as well. What are some things that help us see that Jesus is human? He eats. Yes. Sleeps. He what? Bleeds. Yeah. Cries he did, but not as a human. I don't remember him creating anything. Maybe he did. I don't know. I don't know the whole Bible. He got mad? Yeah. Yeah. So here's, here's a list of just a bunch of human things that he did, right? So just in his body, in his flesh for the 30 some odd years that he walked on this earth, we've got, he was flesh. He was born. He grew. Jesus grew. This is amazing. So the God of the universe grew in wisdom. There's things that Jesus did not know that he had to learn. The God who knows everything limited himself to such a way that he would then have to learn those things all over again. Why would you ever do that? He marveled. He had limited knowledge, limited power. He got hungry, got thirsty, He had a human will. He got tempted. He got frustrated. He was physically weak. He lived in anguish at times. He cried, he bled, he died. All those things that you said, Jesus lived a 100% human life. The way that Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter two is it says he set aside his his divine privileges. Like he voluntarily limited himself and said, I'm gonna limit myself to not have access to my divine privileges and just live a human life. So if that's the case, how did Jesus do all of the incredibly amazing things that are beyond human capacity? what was this? Like? Obedience to the will of God. Yes, that was part of it. But like, what was, where was the, what was the power? Yeah, it was the spirit. In fact, you see this played out in scripture. You've got Jesus was born of the spirit. Luke 135. He lived without sin by the spirit. Hebrews nine fourteen. He was full of the spirit. Luke 4, 1. He was led by the spirit. He had wisdom from the spirit. He spoke God's word by the spirit. He did miracles by the power of the spirit. He had knowledge by the power of the spirit. He got counsel by the spirit. He was resurrected by the spirit. All of the things that Jesus did that were beyond human were not because he was God. It was because the spirit of God empowered him to do that. So that sounds like something I wanna be a part of you remember that one time when Jesus said, hey, it's better that I go? Which is the the most shocking statement ever uttered in the Bible, I think. Could you imagine being one of the disciples? Like, you've seen Jesus raise people from the dead. You've seen Jesus calm the storm. You've seen Jesus heal people that couldn't, there's no way they could be healed. And all of a sudden he says, hey, oh, just so you guys know, it's going to be better that I go. I'd be like, what? I, No. But he says, it's better that I go because I'm going to send the Spirit. And then he says, greater works than I have done, you're going to do. There's this theme throughout Scripture that we can have access to the life of Jesus. And I want to know how, right? Do, do you want to know how? That sounds pretty amazing. So I think what we see taught throughout the Scripture is that Jesus lived a certain kind of lifestyle that cultivated a deeply personal, intimate relationship with God's spirit that fueled and empowered his life. What we see Jesus doing things like, I don't know, he was often in solitude. He was often in prayer. He fasted. He studied scripture. He memorized scripture. He lived simply. He worshiped in song. He practiced secrecy. He practiced submission. He served people. He lived in community. He practiced guidance. Do those things sound kind of familiar to, to you? Like what what types of things are these? Has anyone heard, the, heard these things before? There's like a phrase for these things. They're called spiritual disciplines. Have you ever heard of the, the phrase spiritual disciplines or disciplines of the faith? I like to call them rhythms of intimacy. But basically what Christians have done for the last 2,000 years, is they've looked back on the life of Jesus and they said, how did Jesus live his life in such a way that he cultivated this deeply personal relationship with God's spirit? Because all of us know how to build a connection with another person, right? You know how to build a connection with someone. If you just want to be friends with someone, you might invite them to have coffee or maybe go to a movie or play putt-putt or just hang out, right? You, you, you hang out with people. You spend time with them. You talk with them. You listen to them. We know how to build a connection with another human being, another person that we can see, that we can touch, right? But how do you build a connection with a being that you can't see, that you can't physically touch? Well, you do what Jesus did. You live the same lifestyle that he lived that cultivated this intimate connection. And we call them spiritual disciplines right? Silence and solitude, prayer, fasting, celebration, worship, secrecy, which by the way, secrecy is not keeping secrets from people. It is doing something awesome and not posting about it on social media, right? Jesus never one time posted on social media. That doesn't mean you can't. He didn't have access. But this lifestyle that Jesus lived empowered the incredible Amazing things that he did. Basically, spiritual disciplines in the words of Paul are how we sow to the Spirit. Spiritual disciplines in the words of Jesus are how we abide in the vine. Spiritual disciplines are the means that God has given us to cultivate a deeply personal connection with Him, with His Spirit. You heard about the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is what just naturally is produced when a tree is planted in the right spot, gets all the water and nutrients that it needs, right? The fruit of the Spirit is what God produces in us when we abide in the vine. As Paul says, walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit. The way that we can have access to the life of Jesus is When we live in the lifestyle of Jesus, when we walk in the footsteps of Jesus, it's the way that God begins to radically change our sinful habits and patterns, the things that we're enslaved to into these promises of life and hope and joy and peace and fullness this has been one of the, the most radically shaping things for, for me in my life. So I've been following Jesus for a long time. I'm super old. I know I don't look old, but I am. I'm super old. And and in my life of following Jesus, I hit a ceiling of of these things that, the scriptures talk about, whether it's the fruit of the spirit or these incredible things like, you know, joy and fullness and life and rest. I had a ceiling. And, and, I, and one day I was just kind of, I was like, what's going wrong? Why does not my life not look like what Paul talks about? Why doesn't it look like what Peter talks about, what Jesus talks about, what John talks about? What's going on? What's the disconnect? And, and I did this thing and it's, I, I'm, I'm so embarrassed. But there's a book called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. It's not a page turner, but it's a great book. It's one of the most impactful books I've ever put into practice. But here's the thing. I read that book probably three different times. And then I recommended that book to multiple people, but I never did any of the things in the book. Like I read it. I was like, oh, this is amazing. Oh, it's brilliant. It's incredible. Someone should probably do this one day. And then I would tell people, oh, you should read this book. Yes, definitely. It's a great book. But I never began to practice it. And then one day I was uh, with a group of leaders and we were getting ready to embark on a year journey together. And I was thinking, what are we going to do together? And I remember there's this book that has 12 chapters and there are 12 different, well, there's things in them, like uh, things that you can do. And I was like, oh, let's just do those things together. Spiritual disciplines. And so we began to learn about them and put them into practice. And we'd have all these challenges of things that we could do to better implement, more fully practice these disciplines of the faith or these practices of Jesus so that we could walk more faithfully in his footsteps and live the lifestyle that he lived. And let me tell you, as we began to actually practice the disciplines of the faith, as I began to have them and find healthy rhythms for them in my life, I began to see radical change in my life. I mean, radical change in my life. God began to make me a kind person. I wasn't wasn't a very kind person before. I wasn't a super loving person before. I was pretty self-centered. And I've seen in the last 10 years, God make major overhauls in my character I've seen over the last 10 years, God do major shifts in my experience with the world. Uh, right before I began to put these into practice, I was experiencing some major anxiety. Uh, I was having these panic attacks where I'd be on the floor, curled up in a ball, crying, and just saying to myself, You're okay, you're okay, you're okay. Thinking, What is going on? What, I just, nothing happened, and I just, I can't function. And I'm all for a holistic approach to dealing with these things like anxiety, depression. But one thing that was missing in my life was the development of the spirit of God forming me into the type of person that could handle the things of life that were coming at me. And as I began to practice, I saw my experience with anxiety begin to change. silence and solitude were hugely impactful for me. And my encouragement to you is that you would take this seriously. The life of Jesus is on offer to you. It's not easy. There is a way. Jesus actually says, follow me. And that means something. Has anybody ever played the game, follow the leader? How do you you win the game? You, you follow the leader. So if we were gonna play follow the leader and let's say I, 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 I raised my right hand, you, you would then raise your right hand, right? And if I you know, lifted my left leg, you would then lift your left leg, right? But what if I, I, said, I said, okay, we're pl- play follow the leader. I'm just gonna take off and I go around the room. I start you know, doing all these crazy things. And then one of you stands up and is like, yes, I will follow you. And then sits back down. And what if someone else, someone else is like, OK, OK, wait, wait. He said, "Follow me." I, I wonder what that looks like in the Greek. And they, they got a Greek English dictionary, and they're like, "I wonder what word is behind that, And they begin to study what "follow me" actually means. But then they just never actually began to follow me. What if someone stood up and just raised their hands being this thing, "I will follow you. Yeah. I will follow you." And then they just sat down. Would any of those people have won the game follow the leader? Why? because they didn't actually follow. How many people call themselves Christians or followers of Jesus and don't follow Jesus? And they wonder, "Why why is my life a wreck? Why don't I experience any of the things that the scriptures tell me I should experience? And you're like, well, Jesus gave you the way to cultivate a deeply personal relationship that will develop fruit in your life and give you rock solid character which will change your experience with the world and with people. I want to invite Hannah to come up and help us respond. And as she does, I, just, I want you to just, just think about something. First of all, as we think about God's spirit, he's the one that gave you life. So every single one of us who is here right now has been brought to life by God's spirit, just physical body. He's the one who is sustaining your life right now. The ability for your brain synapses to fire, for you to form thoughts, for you to hear things and understand them, make decisions to ignore me and to fall asleep. Like, like that's God's spirit giving you that ability. And this is not, we're not talking about Christian stuff, we're talking everybody's stuff. And then you think about Christians. You think the spirit is the one who has set us free from slavery to sin. Like we don't have to be enslaved to our sin anymore because of God's spirit. And we can, on top of that, begin to experience joy. Joy that's inexpressible. Peace that we can't comprehend. Rest. True, deep rest. Life. Abundantly to its fullest extent because God has so kindly and graciously given us His Spirit and shown us in the example of Jesus how to cultivate that relationship. How incredible is our God? How incredible is our God that He doesn't just die for our sins, which that would have been enough. He doesn't just raise to life to give us hope of eternity, that would have been enough, but He keeps going. He keeps giving us more and more and more and desires us to have this intimate relationship with Him, with the Creator and the Sustainer of the universe. He desires us to have joy. He desires us to have rest and peace and life because He loves us so much. Like, what kind of God do we serve? Like, He's incredible. And what we do is we just abide, we just remain. As we walk in the footsteps of Jesus, he begins to transform our hearts and our minds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so, so, so much that you are this amazing God who loves us more than we can imagine or fathom or even comprehend. Thank you that you are willing to die for us. Thank you that you're willing to give us your spirit, that you reside with all followers of Jesus. Thank you. And thank you that you empower us to life, empower us to peace, empower us to hope, empower us to joy, and that you set us free from sin. I just pray that you would give us the wisdom, the power, the ability, the will, the desire to walk in your footsteps and change the patterns of our life so that we can experience all that you want us to experience. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use the message you just received and direct
1: your heart completely towards him.
0: If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel
1: free to check out past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.